Amen. Well, this morning we want to welcome back our dear friend and brother, part of this house, uh, served here for many years uh, on staff and as associate pastor, and then 12 years ago, headed over to Tanzania, East Africa, and uh, has been serving faithfully and fruitfully, incredibly fruitfully over there for the last uh, 12 years, and uh, this is no stranger to us. This is our dear friend and brother, Steve Rasmussen. Let's welcome him this morning to our house. Well, it's good to be here. Good to be home, in the house, the Lord, the apostolic house, sending out, and um, first of all, I have to start with, since you didn't give me a chance last Sunday, I have to start with, thank you. That was an incredible offering. (laughs) Um, You know, when we, in Mwanza, when we try to really push an offering... Okay, people are making $2 a day, but if we really push it, we get $100. But this is like $100 for each of you. That's going to go a long ways. Um, you know, this, this, this church they've been building for a long time, and as they're building, um, cement is $20 a bag, and they're looking like it's getting farther as they're trying. And so um, this is just going to be great. We're going to be able to move from the 20 by 32 foot classroom in the Bible school we've been in to the sanctuary that's... Uh, Beautiful place. I don't know. Dwayne, is it about this big? Or a little bigger? Okay. We figured out that if we can get 100 plus people in that classroom, we should be able to get almost 1,000 in that thing. I don't know if we'll pack them in that quite that tight, but it'll be, uh, it'll be good. And, and there was more than that goal. So there's more that we can do. Um, so thank you so much for that. And I, today I want to just talk a little bit about stories listening to stories, and how that can bring meaning into our lives. If you think about, okay, there was an offering last Sunday. That's cool. There was a snowstorm, and uh, my, my father-in-law up at the farm, he said there's, there's four people in the whole county who are excited to have snow, and they're in my house. Um, <laughs> My kids were asking me, is there going to be any snow when we get back? We've been missing snow. It's going to be great. You know? I said, no, no snow. They were snowmobiling and they were, they, had a great, they were just having a good time. So Jan got delayed going up there to get them. She was supposed to be back. But we had a good, since the offering, we also had a great conference. Tune in to what God's doing, what the Holy Spirit is doing. Um, locally, nationally, globally. It was a great time. They had an honor for Lloyd Jacobson, our pastor here for 17 years. It was awesome. The night before, seeing Lloyd crying at the altar, and Bob Forrest, the previous pastor to that, this just does something for me to see those people still seeking God. They honored him for 50-plus years of ministry. You know, when you take events like that, they don't mean much. So, so I went for a run yesterday after stuffing myself with food all week, and um, you know, I got up in the morning, I put my shoe suit on. All that doesn't mean much if you just do events. What you do in your, in your life each day might not mean much. But if you string it together and you see the story yeah. of your life, yeah. not just the story of your life, but the story that God's writing in your life. Yes. And you say, well, this is part of that. Me putting my suit on today is part of me coming to Bethel, which is part of me coming to Bethel in 1981 as a college student. Of course, I've been here before for youth retreats and stuff like that, but... It was a long process with, with um, Lloyd Jacobson, who was here at the time. My brother had been here in the 70s. 
and then went to Bob Forsteth, former pastor's church, to be a youth pastor, ran into a Tanzanian there who was, he was hosting in his home. He said, you know, we really need to start a Bible school. Come over, help us start a Bible school. He went over, he said, okay, 1983. They went over 25 years ago. Now they started, he went for three years to start a Bible school. Still there. Um, and well, what he did was he started a Bible school, and then he started one in Burundi, and then he started one up our way in, in Mwanza. Um, but it was an extension school. So then they asked me to come over and help. Well, actually, first of all, he said, I got out of college. I wanted to have a, try some short-term missions. He said, I'll pay your way one way. Come over and you can stay with me. So had 10 months of doing that. Bethel gave an offering to, to wish us on our way. Listened to that vision back in 19, that would have been 86, 22 years ago. Um, going over there. And something got planted in my heart about going back there. And came back here to, to study in seminary and Gene Van Belhuizen said, you know, we could use you to, to help out a little bit part-time here. So I did some part-time, a little more part-time. This was just before Jim came. And then full-time. And the, the thing was, okay, we know you want to go there. We want you to get some experience and go help us out here. You know what? We had a great time here. And uh, I hope you all didn't just like kick me out because it was sick of me. But um, I think it was sending... Not somebody you wanted to get rid of, but somebody you wanted to send. And um, for myself, I wrote a resignation letter that said, there's absolutely no reason for me to leave here, except I think God keeps bugging me about going back there. So I, I still consider myself staff, distance staff. Um, with a, uh, and over there, as part of this body, as part of this story, we've been, we got there, there was this Bible school, with uh, 25 students or so, and John Wanzalimo was there as the administrator, and I got two hours of orientation and tried to figure out how to run a Bible school from that, and um, told me how much salt each student was supposed to have, how much flour each student was supposed to have. John knew where to get the flour and the salt, so we started from there. And um, But then our vision was to train people who could go to the unreached, but our vision was also to set up this Bible school so that it could be self-supporting, self-propagating, self governing, that they could do it. Went there, and I was handed the Bible school, but John was there. Then we developed a board, and then the board said, well, why don't we start another school up in Mwanza, I mean, in Musoma, and then another school in Ngara. Now, we do these schools, they're specifically designed for people who are already in ministry. If you're not already doing ministry, most of them are pastors, if you're not already doing something, you can't come in. Um, so, we are training people, so they come for a month, twice, a year for four years, that gives them the equivalent of three years. Now they can go on and do a, a degree at pastoral studies one place, but we're just starting now, East African School of Missions, because we want them not only to be able to do pastoring, we want them also to be able to do missions, especially cross-cultural church planting into unreached groups. Yeah. Now, from Burundi, I'll get to go to French-speaking Africa, because they speak French. We're trying to start it there as well. In Mwanza, we've got 20-some unreached groups in Tanzania. Now, the group John's from, they're, the Sukuma are 6 million people. They're maybe three, they're 4% Protestant, maybe 7% Catholic. We don't count that as unreached because there's some Sukuma who can reach more. But there are some where there's not that many. Yeah. Zanzibar. There are some mainlanders on Zanzibar having church, but Zanzibaris, very strong Muslim. Other groups in Tanzania, others back in the bush. 
It's an effort and it takes some understanding to go there. So that's what we're up to, starting an interdenominational, because other denominations weren't doing it either, interdenominational mission school to train Africans to reach Africans. And actually, anybody else who wants to come. So we promised if we have at least seven people in any language, we'll do a track for them. So if we get some Tanzanians and you guys to come and learn in English, we'll do that. We'll have a Swahili track, an English track. Okay, pray for that. Because some of the key leaders interdenominationally who were putting it together have left to go work with World Vision, to go plant a church in Dar es Salaam, and we're here right now. Um, so pray that that happens. Um, so as we've been back there, now... Oh, one other thing I guess I should mention is the theological education by extension. That's over 300 students who are studying. They do kind of a correspondence thing. They meet once a week in their location, people who can't even get away for a month. So we've got 400 students who are ministers who are learning how to do ministry better. That's an extension of this house there. So that's part of your story. That's part of the story of this body. See, when you take your story and you string together those events, you try to see what God's doing, you can find some meaning in that. But you find more meaning when you say, what does my story have to do with our story? We sometimes say, I think, therefore I am, following Descartes. Africans say, we are, therefore I am. They know that we makes me somebody. I'm part of a family. I'm part of a clan. I'm part of a group. And we are part of the people of God. We are part of the people of God who are in Tanzania. The people of God. I was talking to people at this conference in Albania. No Christians in 1990. Well, okay. Scattered Christians. No one church even. Now, every town has a church. Korean missionaries, 15,000 missionaries out of Korea now. And migrants from Mongolia who've been in Korea, who've been ministered to, who are going back. Mongolia's got a bunch of churches now. 90, there were none. So God's doing stuff. Now, at the same time, Europe is going down. So 1900 to 2000, we had a third of the world is Christian in 1900. A lot of people have been born, but a third of the world is Christian in 2000. There's still a lot of people to reach. So we still got work to do. Good thing. Isn't it nice to be welcomed into God's work? Making disciples of all nations? By the way, that's a corporate you. You all make disciples of all nations. I can't make disciples in Albania. It's not my job. I've got a specific job. You've got a specific... We don't all have to go everywhere in the world. But we all have to do something. Some peace. Some... Really, our call is to love God and love our neighbor as ourselves, right? And Jesus, in this parable of the Good Samaritan, didn't let you off the hook on who your neighbors are. So my neighbors in Mwanza are your neighbors. So I've got people showing up on my porch asking for help with this and that. And how I relate the justice that I can find in how I relate to them and their issues, they're your neighbors too. The lifestyle I choose there and the lifestyle you choose here influences how they live. They're your neighbors. You're my neighbors. And you've got other neighbors, some neighbors who you're maybe don't know too well. Maybe a little harder to get to know. You know, when, when the church in Africa and Asia had gone everywhere, the, the gospel, right? Every direction. church in Africa and Asia had shrunk by 1500. It was mostly in Europe that, the, that it was strong. 
We've studied Ethiopia and Iraq and, and South India and other places. But God then gave them ships to take 450 years. They were going all over the world. And with good and bad, they were bringing Christianity as they understood it. Now, in 1950, that kind of shifted in reverse, and people from the colonies started coming back to Europe and other places. God's doing something yeah. in that. Yeah. You guys are some of the people who are more in tune to what God is doing in that. He's sending the mission field back here. Somalis, there's very few Christians among in Somalia, but they're here for you to reach. He's sending missionaries back here, like we've got some here. He's sending people back here who get converted when they come here. God's doing all kinds of stuff all over the world. So how do we love our neighbors? And how do we love God? One key in relationship is listening. Right? Do you feel most loved when somebody talks at you the whole time or when they listen? Both are good. But sometimes when we listen really well... It's when we get out of ourselves. And it's less about me and more about what God is doing. Um, let's, let's look at a couple scriptures. Let's start in uh, Proverbs. Proverbs 17, verse 28. These are just some encouragement to listen. Proverbs 17, verse 28. Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent and discerning if he holds his tongue. 18, verse 2. A fool finds no pleasure in understanding but delights in airing his own opinions. He who... This is verse 13 of chapter 18. He who answers before listening, that is his folly and his shame. Too often as Christians and as missionaries... We've answered before we listened. And we've done a lot of foolish things. Um, we think as Christians sometimes our job is to witness, tell, talk, proclaim. But we need to listen first. The heart of the discerning acquires knowledge. The ears of the wise seek it out. So if you want to draw a picture of the wise, the picture of the wise to have huge ears, little mouths. But the fool, he's got a big mouth and these tiny little ears. Of course, he thinks he's wise. You know, the fool thinks he's really wise. He's got to, he's delights in airing his opinions. 19, verse 2. It is not good to have zeal without knowledge, nor to be hasty and miss the way. Notice it doesn't even say it's not as good. It says it's not good. Somebody in our area... His wife was having trouble in her pregnancy. He'd heard about C-section, so he decided he'd help her out. It wasn't a big help. She died. He was zealous. He was trying to help her out, but when I get in the plane, I'm, I hope that the, that the pilot is not only zealous. <laughs> when we do things to share with others, especially cross-culturally, it's not bad to learn some things. To learn about... Now, a lot of the things you need to learn are from the people that you're trying to talk to. A lot of listening. It doesn't hurt to listen to the listeners. In other words, researchers and get some guides who can help you. People in the culture who know some things. Um, I want to tell you a story. There was a monkey. 
And there was a typhoon, a big, huge storm. And the monkey had found a shelter under the, under the tree and he was there in his comfortable place. And he saw over there, over there, a fish who was struggling and streaming and the water was pouring and this fish was struggling. He thought, I'm here in my safe place, but that poor fish. So he, he struggled and he went, went way out on this limb and he reached down and he, he got the fish. And he, he took the fish and he brought it back and put it under his tree in his safe place. And the fish was so happy. And then the fish was at peace. Now tell me, was the monkey zealous? Did the monkey have a good motivation? Is he loving? Was he willing to sacrifice to help the fish? What did the fish think? (laughs) Not much. Um, Not much anymore. Now, Jesus actually speaks in our culture. In fact, he became a fish to speak to us. In the story in Babel, we we have the record of sin. It goes from messing up the family to messing up injustice in the nations to messing up international relations. Because... They're trying, this, this ethnocentric, it's actually a, a mockery of ethnocentric Babylonian stories about how everybody is eventually going to speak our language. Sounds like America. Um, how everybody's, you know, going to, we're going to build a tower up to God. And then God has to come down. What's that going on down there? He comes down to take a look. What's this tower? But it says God changed the language so that they will not understand each other. They couldn't listen. It was also a moral problem. They stopped listening. Then we get to Acts 2. I was thinking about this as we were, as we were um, last Sunday when we were listening to Dale. Acts 2, we see that the Holy Spirit comes on these people in a powerful way. Acts 2, verse 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they said, are not all these Galileans? And they were speaking the wonderful things of God. And they said, what does this mean? Now some of them interpreted it as drunkenness. Some of them interpreted it as, wow, God's doing something, which always happens. People interpret things in different ways. Some people listen and notice what God's doing and some people don't. But here we have a story of God reversing Babel. You notice he didn't reverse Babel by putting it all back in one language. He reversed it by helping people speak differently to glorify God instead of themselves. Let us make us a tower. And he helped them to hear now, I don't know how, that was, like he mentioned in Dale, it's a miracle on both sides. Because if you've got a whole bunch of people speaking a whole bunch of languages, if you can actually hear what's going on in your language, that's a miracle too. But it enabled them to hear. Ephesians 5 tells us you can tell somebody who's filled with the Spirit because they sing to praise God and to bless one another. So I hope you're singing to bless your neighbor. If you don't like the song, I hope you're singing it for your neighbor who likes the song, okay? Yeah. And to glorify God. And they submit to one another in their families, in their work relationships. So it's not just how high you jump. 
And we decided Pastor Jim is a Messiah. He's got that Messiah thing down. Um, but that's not the only way of telling you if you're filled with the Spirit. It's how low you get in submitting and serving and helping that reveals if you're really filled with the Spirit. The Spirit helps us to listen, to love, to love people, love God. Now, I want to thank you also for your willingness to let us listen. To come back, we spent a couple years doing, um, getting a chance to read all the stuff I never had a chance to read about Sukuma culture and other stuff. And we went back and, and we've been teaching and also researching there. A chance to listen. I collected stories. I interviewed people, did participant observation, watched, watched people, and I also asked our students to ask people about a story of sickness or death, their own story, a Christian story, a non-Christian story. And I have a pile of stories like this. It's down to 300 pages now. And uh, conclusion left, so pray for me. May 23rd, i got to get this PhD done so we can go on to the next step. Oh, I never told you the next step. The next step... In this expanding into mission stuff, we're going, uh, we are, as a family, are moving to Nairobi Evangelical Graduate School of Theology in Nairobi, where we'll be teaching leaders from all over Africa at a graduate school level, people who are going to be missionaries, people who are going to be pastors, people who are going to be teachers of pastors and missionaries and others. So pray for us. It's a new challenge. Um, but it's an, it's an expansion of the work we're all doing and a chance to go a lot farther. And so, as I've been listening to people, there's a, my, um, my mentor, Paul Hebert, who also was a great mentor in How to Die. He just died a year ago. And fantastic attitude in how he was... He, he, he wrote me an email a month before he died. I'm in a halfway house to heaven. I got, you know... He, six months before. I want to finish these two books up, but then, you know, I know God will give me time. It's not for me to ask why, but God knows all about that. I'm just going to do what God wants me to do. A month before he died, I'm in a halfway house to heaven. It's a great time. I, uh, you know, I'm with my family and God's given me a few, I've written a few articles and whatever, but it's going to be great. He just was ready for whatever God had. Anyways, um, he came up with it. He talked about how Syncretism and contextualization. Now, these are kind of technical terms. Syncretism means basically the culture and the, and the word get so mixed up that they get messed up. Okay? Now, you, we said God always speaks in a culture, right? Yeah. But contextualization means that in that culture, it's communicated clearly. In Scripture, we have God speaking in a whole bunch of cultures. 1,500 years, three languages, all kinds of different situations. And that's cool, because there's things that are in there that we don't get, but Africans get. And there's things that we get that they don't get in the same way. So they preach about, I started preaching about Balaam. And there's no sorcery that can touch the people of Israel. Now that might not bless you, but it blesses people who spend their nights in fear of sorcery and witchcraft. Now, when we got started, okay, so critical contextualization there's two things you can do. There's a culture there, and there's a scripture. How do you put them together? You can say no to everything in the scripture. A lot of missionaries did that in Africa. They said everything's bad in African culture. 
And there are people, there are churches like that too. Everything's bad out there in the world. Or you can say yes to everything. And there are some who've tried to develop things, but then everything, all the bad stuff gets in too. And there are churches like that too. Yeah, oh, it's, let's be with it. Let's be cool. Let's have it all. And, but critical contextualization says, no, let's find a way where we can figure out piece by piece what, what is this and what does it mean and what's really going on here. Right. So we did this process. We, the, we, people collected those stories. We sat in the classroom, in different classrooms, in different places. And we said, what's going on? And people started telling stories. Well, now, when my mother killed the neighbor because she was a witch, I got the chicken that the, the assassin used. And we have this witch in our, in our church, but nobody wants to be near her. I mean, I think she's saved, but everybody's afraid she's going to make them sick. So the Pentecostal churches there, I think, are doing an advancement because the other churches had this sort of mission mentality of witchcraft's all about suspicion. We're not going to talk about that. So what do people do? They just go to the healer. Deal with it over there. Okay, church is irrelevant to that whole part of my, big part of my life. So I just go over here. So, but how do we work on what, what part of that is real? So we start with what's going on, and then we go to scripture and other things, and we say, what's real? What's true? What are the effects of this? After we've listened to what's going on with people, listened clearly and carefully to people, then we listen clearly and carefully to God. What does Scripture say? What does the Spirit say? What do other parts of the body say? And then we bring it back to this situation, this culture. How do we minister in this culture? Okay? Now, I know that people are saying, oh man, I'm still in witchcraft? What's with that? And people are saying, oh yeah, the African church, you know, it's a mile wide and it's an inch deep because it's grown so fast, but there's not that much discipleship. I think that's partially true. But I wonder about here. How deep? American church is a mile wide. How deep is it? When it comes to sickness here, do people pray first? Do they fast and pray? Do they seek God? Or do they only do that after the doctor says, yeah, you know what, we've done everything, we took it out, we radiated it, we whatever, but we can't do anything now. <gasps> I better pray. In Africa, they pray first. Now, if it doesn't work, they might go to the healer. But they pray first. We've got some things to learn here, I think. Um, we, we deny death to the point that we keep people alive. Who, we torture them for our sakes instead of saying goodbye sometimes. Um, what, what is going on here? And I don't have all the answers for that. One thing, you know, there was a, in Numbers, chapter 21, verse 9, there was this, the people had complained, God sent snakes, and then the snakes were biting them, and, he, and they prayed to God, and God said, okay. He put, a, he put a snake up on a pole, a copper snake up on a pole, and the people were supposed to look at that snake as a way of showing their trust in God, and God would heal them. Right? It comes to 2 Kings 18, 3 and 4, and the king, Hezekiah, does this great service by chopping that snake in pieces and throwing it away. Oh, how come? In the meantime, 
that snake had changed from a meaning of look to that snake and get healing from God to an idol that they worshipped. Kahushtan. The unclean thing, the bronze thing. That Now, has our medical system become an idol? Or is it still serving God? Do we still expect doctors to be God? Do we require that they can't make any errors? That they've got to give an answer? Or are we really looking to God and saying, you know what, if medicine helps, that's great. We have to ask ourselves some hard questions too. When people die. Okay, there, when somebody dies, they might think, okay, she's a widow, maybe she killed her husband, I wonder, and she she might be suspected. What about widows here? Or divorcees or others who are alone? At least there, 40 days later, they they do some more things. They're, They're around for days. Don't let the person be alone. Or a year later, they have another ceremony. What happens here after the half-hour service? After the day of the funeral? Usually it's, oh, hi, how are you? I hope you're better. The pressure to be okay. People aren't okay in a year or two or three. Can we deal with that? Can we help them in that? Can we deal with it when we have to look at them and say, you know what, my husband might die, my wife might die? Is that really why we don't want to talk about it? We need God's help to know how to respond to our culture. All kinds of things that are going on in our culture. And I'm not going to give you the answers to that. But we could follow a process like that. Sit together, talk about what's really going on. Read some things, talk to some people. Talk to your neighbors. Your Christian and your non-Christian neighbors. Listen carefully. And with the other here, listen to the Holy Spirit and say, what are you doing? When this person is sharing their grief, what are you doing in that? When they're sharing their joy, are they getting a glimpse of God? Even your non-Christian neighbors. Okay? Listen carefully. And if they're different from you in culture or language, it takes a little closer listening, doesn't it? Maybe a little research. Maybe a little getting some guides to help you. But it's worth it. It's important. It'll change you as well as them. Love your neighbor as yourself. And love God with everything you got. By loving your neighbor is one way. So as I was thinking about all this stuff... um, Benesta, one of our, one of our uh, teachers, you know, I wasn't sure if, if they were making, how much they were getting out of this. He told me about his granddaughter got sick and they couldn't figure out what was happening in the hospital. Now, if they can't figure out what's happening in the hospital, people immediately say, uh-oh, something else. We better go someplace else. His daughter is a Christian. He's been a pastor all his life. His son-in-law is a Christian. But when this happens, lots of pressure to take the kid out and bring him to the healer. So... He, And he said, it was just us that stood there and said, no, leave her in the hospital and let's keep praying. The kid didn't eat for two or three weeks. Four-year-old, five-year-old kid, his grandchild. Um, But they kept trying to take her out, slip in traditional medicine, and they were accusing um, his sister because his child had died, you know, so his sister probably killed that child, so this could be this. Well, the son-in-law's mother was thrown away, 
pushed off as a witch years ago, and she's been back for six months. She probably did it. So there were four different people who were accused. And he said, you know what? We don't know any of that stuff. Let's just pray. <laughs> but he was the only one, he and his wife. And he said, you know what? The class helped me because we heard all these stories, but none of them for sure were like, are we sure that really happened? Some of the students even said, let's take her out of there. He said, did you take that class? Click. <laughs> so we need some stuff like that here. And the thing is, we need to ask the deep questions. When I, when I said, what, if, what about African, you know, about witchcraft worldview? What, how does that shape things? They're all like, well, because they couldn't think outside. Worldview is not what you think about, it's what you think with. It's like if I asked you, what if there weren't germs or parasites or cancer? What, what if we thought about things differently? You'd say, well, we'd be stupid. Right? That's how they feel. Now, we've got to think outside of our own box. And we've got to help each other. We need the Africans in our community to help us think outside the box. They've got it right that the spirits or, or the spiritual causes the physical. This whole world came from something that's unseen. Right? Um, okay. But here's the thing. I was talking to Benesta, and Benesta was saying, I said, what do people hear? You see, faith comes by hearing. Right? right? What are you hearing? People there are hearing every, I said every week, he said every day. They're hearing stories about witchcraft. This, and you know what, this and that, what? Wow, that's amazing. It's, and then they hear a little bit about the stories that are in here. Which ones do they believe more? A lot of times the ones they hear more. Yeah. Let me ask you something. Which stories are you hearing more of? Right. God was good enough to give us some great stories. I mean, fantastic stories. In here. And he's given us some great stories in this body. Yeah. Stuff God's doing in your life. Yeah. Are you listening to this? And to what God's doing in the world? Or are you listening to the next episode of whatever? Are you listening to the things that, you know, the magazines that tell you, you know, what, I don't know, sorry, but women's magazines, you open them up and it's all about, you know, how you can look better, how you can pretend you're not, gonna, you're not actually as old as you are, and um, health stuff, and uh, eating altogether. Um, now, you know what, the stuff that's in every magazine. You're going to believe that stuff? You're going to believe the stuff that says, you better be saving for retirement right now if you don't? <gasps> or are you going to seek God's justice in the world first and let him take care of some other stuff? Well, I'm not saying you shouldn't plan, but we can live in fear that binds us from seeking justice and righteousness. <coughs> Who are you listening to? Whose stories are you listening to? This week... Count it up. What percentage of the time am I listening to stories that are not telling me something from God? And what percentage of the time am I listening to stories from God and listening to God's story within them? Not listen to the news, but when you listen to it, listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying in it. And maybe try to listen outside the box. John Moaz Lima is here. He said, you know, what's going on in Kenya with the, with the, with the stuff over there? He said, and, 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 and you know, the, the controversy. I can't get any news on Tanzania here. I said, yeah, that's right. 
He said, but we know what's going on with Clinton and Obama, and we're talking about that kind of stuff all the time. You know, We have the Monica Lewinsky bus, Bill's gal on the minibus and all that kind of stuff. We know what's going on. So America can be you know, the fishbowl that everybody sees in but nobody sees out. Because that doesn't matter out there. Listen. Listen to your neighbors. Listen to God. Love them. Love God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for listening to us when we pray. Thank you for understanding us even in the middle of all this. Thank you for changing us. Thank you that you're still speaking. Thank you that you've recorded these stories that we can get your worldview, your picture on things. God, I pray that you'd teach us to listen. Teach us to listen to those around us. And teach us to listen to what you're doing in them. Teach us to have a word after we listen. Speak into our lives as we look at what happened in our day. Help us to hear what you're doing in that day. Show us the meaning that you have in our life. Bring us into the next place, Lord. God, open our ears. Open our ears to you and to our neighbor.